Morning. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I brought one of Emily's toys with me today. <laughs> Says um, Kate, Princess Kate. <laughs> she is. You can buy them. Happy Land figures now. I'm not quite sure what the Queen thinks about this, but you can buy Kate and Will and baby George. <laughs> Two sets now to collect, in case you're interested. Um, I want you to imagine that it is Kate's wedding day. And uh, the procession has started and she's in the carriage and she's going to the church with all the pomp and ceremony that accompanies that. And the crowd lines the streets and you're part of that crowd. Okay, so it's quite exciting. You know, this doesn't happen often. Here she comes. <laughs> and someone at the back of the crowd, as, she, as her carriage approaches, everyone else is like waving their flags and yay! Brilliant. Hi, Kate. But someone at the back of the crowd is yelling at, as loud as they possibly can, spare some change. Spare some change. And at this point, you're in the crowd. They're behind you. What do you do? What do you think at this point? Spare some change, spare some change. And like, you can imagine there's... You're like, what on earth is going on? But in whatever's going on in your brain at that thought, and it might be good and it might not be so good, um, the carriage stops. And her like burly security men dive through the crowd, (laughs) pushing you aside, pick up. This, uh, this lady, and bring her to the carriage. And when she gets to the carriage, Kate starts to whisper to her, and she's asking her, you know, you know, and she says, what do you want? What do you want? Now, what is the woman going to say? What would you say at this point? What do you want? And that's what we're going to think about today. So let's take our Bibles, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 18. Okay, and we're going to read the last bit of Luke which is entitled, A Blind Beggar Receives His Sight, and it's verse 35. And if anybody has um, got the page number in the red Bibles, could you call it out? Because I appear to have a blue one. I'm not sure it's the same. Oh, it's the same, 1053. So there you go, that will help. 1053. So let's read that bit together. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me 
to do for you. Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Okay, so hold them because we're going to read the next, the next chapter in a minute. Pop it down there. So here in Luke's account, he is building. We're getting to the climax, as it were. We're getting to the crucifixion. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to pass through Jericho and then he'll be at Jerusalem. And we know he's going there because he's just said to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem and there I'm going to die. And they don't get it because it says it's been kept from them. So they don't understand. So here in the last chapters, we see Jesus is still acting in a completely compassionate way. As he approaches Jericho, um, he's going there. They're going to celebrate him as king, the Messiah. He's going to be popular at this point. And a blind beggar is literally yelling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's saying, King Jesus. He's a little bit ahead of the crowd that are going to be shouting that in a couple of days' time. He might not be able to physically see, but he gets who Jesus is, and he's not afraid to shout it. Not even if there's a bunch of Roman guards surrounding them. He's not afraid to say, King Jesus, have mercy on me. And the crowd tell him to shut up. But he shouts even more. I remember um, uh, a number of years ago, I, I lived in a shared house. And when we started, we kind of got this house. And um, we tried to sign up for broadband. I don't know if you've experienced this. Uh, we signed up. Our direct debit started flying out of our account. But did we have broadband? No, we did not. <laughs> they all know. <laughs> And I phoned, and I phoned, and I phoned, and I talked to operators, and they talked me through it. Da, da, da. Have you done this, madam? La, 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 la. Yes, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. And they would continually tell me, there is a problem with your line. It's not us, it's you. Have you ever been there? <laughs> There's so many people nodding. <laughs> and I went on and on and on. And eventually I get given this completely random number. I'm definitely not meant to have. But I phone it and I get through. And it's like for business customers. Ooh, I got a different reaction. The man said, oh, you've got the wrong line. It's for business customers. But he said, oh, I'll have a look. So he had a look. Instantly. Instantly, he could tell me exactly what was wrong. He said, oh, the problem is that it says that your line is hardwired. And I said, no, it isn't. And he said, oh, well, that's fine. I'll just change it here. Da-da, finished. <sighs> hours and hours. But I knew that there were people that could help me. So I was not going to be shut up. And I was not going to be put off. And this man knows that he needs Jesus. And nobody is going to shut him up. Have we got a PowerPoint, Bill? Did you get my PowerPoint? You didn't. Okay, well, I'll carry on. You'll have to remember. So, my first point, Jesus stopped. 
When we call for Jesus, no matter how many voices, including our own, are telling us to shut up, he listens. There are lots of things, aren't there, that says, you know, he won't stop for you. Jesus has got more interesting things to do today. Have you not seen the problems in the world? Who are you to say anything to Jesus? He won't care. He won't be bothered with you. But Jesus stopped. It reminded me of when I lived in Lebanon. And I lived there for a few years and... um, we, we had mobile phones. We were out for the day in a car and we were driving miles and miles away from where we lived, where we knew people. We were in the mountains, in the middle of nowhere, literally the middle of nowhere, and our car breaks down. So there we are. I want to imagine this. The car is broken down. There are three white Western women sitting in the mountains in the middle of Lebanon with no signal on their phones, no one they know, and a bit of broken Arabic. A bit scary. <laughs> so what could we do? We prayed. We just said, Jesus, please help us. There was nothing else we could do. And no word of a lie, two minutes later, around the corner in his car comes, I want you to imagine how far he is away from home, because we had driven for hours, our greengrocer, I know. And only Jesus does this. Only Jesus stops. When we call to him, he stops. He does something. He invites us to draw near and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And if you've got children or you work with children, you know them, you often get this barrage of demands. Have you ever been in that experience where you just, I can't even begin to cope? But I'm surprised at the number of times, no matter how many times I hear the word mummy, out of my mouth comes, yes, sweet pea, what, what do you want? Have you ever been surprised by that? I mean, there are days when you, you know... <laughs> but the number of times you just sort of, yeah, yes, what do you want? What do you want? And I think, you know, as we as human beings, even when we are frazzled to our end with our children or children that we're working with or we know or our cousins or our nephews, we say, what do you want? And Jesus is so much more than that. He's not human, he's not limited, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? If we think about this man, he could have asked for money. I mean, he was begging, wasn't he? On the side of the road, he was begging. He could have asked for money. Or like the disciples, he could have asked for power. You know, disciples said, when when you come into your kingdom, when you're crowned the king, can we sit at your right and your left? But what he expects of Jesus, what he knows Jesus is able to do, is so much more than that. This man believes that Jesus can meet his current. I just want to see. I wonder what our expectations are of what Jesus can do. What is our faith? If Jesus said to you today, what do you want me to do for you? What's our faith 
going to allow us to do. And Jesus replies, receive your faith, sorry, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. All your faith has saved you. Immediately, he receives his sight, praising God. And in the Bible, we see lots of different incidents, don't we? And in our own lives, we see people who are instantly healed. We see people who are gradually healed. We see people that are healed and recess and then are healed again. And sadly, we see people that aren't healed. But there is that certainty that Jesus is listening. He is not deaf to us. He is not removed. He is listening to us. And when all the people saw it, they praised God. As we share in our lives what God has done, people get excited, don't they? It builds faith for people. Say, this is what happened to me. And they're encouraged. They think, yeah, he's done that for you. And I can add that to my bank of faith. So are we telling our stories of what God has done for us? Let's read the next bit. Let's look at Zacchaeus, chapter 19. Zacchaeus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Son of man came to seek and save what was lost. So meet Zacchaeus. He is a chief tax collector. And tax collectors were even more hated then. Really hated. They profited from Rome's occupation. So the people who were oppressing them, they were under the rule and authority of, who extracted taxes from them in order to build their empire. Tax collectors were their own people were taking money and giving it to the enemies. And because of such, they were seen as traitors. They were enemies of Israel. And they had their own kind of category, sinners and tax collectors. They went together. They almost got their own thing. And the people who took these jobs were not there to make friends. They were in it for the money. 
And just think for a minute of an occupation you can think of. I'm not going to name any because I don't want anyone to be offended. <laughs> but think of an occupation you can think of where they're in it for the money. They're definitely not in it for you. I've got a few, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> It's no surprise that this man, Zacchaeus, can't see Jesus. We read that he's short, but he's not only short physically, but to the crowd, he's little in worth. He is at the back with the beggar. He can't see Jesus. And just like the black blind man, he's obscured by the crowd who would quite happily say, shut up. But he wanted to see Jesus. So he climbed a tree. Alone, ahead, where no one could push him or abuse him. And he'd wait to see Jesus clearly. But not even Jesus would see him. And I love to imagine this. Because Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, I reckon he would have been quite old. I think he would have been a bit fat. I think he would have been wearing robes. And you imagine this kind of man climbing a tree. It would just have been hysterical. Local kids would have just been crying with laughter, I think. But he doesn't care at all because he's compelled to see Jesus. And I'm sure he would have stayed there until the crowd went away so no one saw him getting down again if Jesus hadn't stopped. Dead on the spot and looked up. And you ever had that feeling where you are somewhere and you don't want people to notice you? A bit like being at the theatre and you don't choose the front row, but then they've suddenly gone into the crowd and they've stopped next to you. No! No! <laughs> a bit like that for Zacchaeus. Once when I was living in a shared house, I leapt out of my friend's wardrobe. Yeah, a bit odd. (laughs) Unfortunately, she was half-dressed, so it didn't go very well. I wouldn't recommend that. Now, why do I say that? She was surprised. (laughs) But Jesus is never surprised by us. He knows where we are, even if we're hiding. He knows. He knows when we want to see him. And he stops dead and looks at us. Because he knows. And he said, Zacchaeus, come immediately. Hurry, hurry. I must stay at your house today. Now, it doesn't seem like a lot to us, does it? Stay at your house. Okay. You know, we're quite British. Like to come for dinner? Yes, come for dinner. There you go. Off you go. But in this culture, Jesus is not saying, I want to come and have a little bit of food with you and go on my way. To stay is to unpack. He's going to unpack his stuff. He's going to move in. And he is going to basically know that he's getting to a situation where whenever he tries to leave, they're going to go, no, no, don't leave. Don't leave. Stay with us. Stay another night. Stay three nights. Stay a week. Stay a year. And in it is more than just that because it's about who you associate with. So probably the closest we could get would be an episode of Pride and Prejudice, maybe, where she says about the girl, she says, she will not 
paint the steps of Pemberley or something like that. It's about association, isn't it? So here, Jesus is associating with him. Everything that Zacchaeus has is now associated with Jesus. So Zacchaeus is hated, he's a traitor. It's now associating with Jesus. This is why people are so shocked. This is why they're saying, does, does he know? Does he know who this is? Because if he's in a popularity contest here to be king, that's not helping. So he's offering, he's offering Zacchaeus, I'm going to come and take what you've got. But also, you're going to get what I've got. It works both ways, doesn't it? It's by association. So Zacchaeus is associated with Jesus. He gets all that Jesus has too. And think of the titles of Jesus. Messiah, Son of God, Holy One of God. Name just a few titles. And the people know it. That's why they grumble and they moan and they whine and say, does he know who this is? But Zacchaeus comes straight down. He receives him with utter joy because he knows what he's getting. He can't believe it. He's overwhelmed by what Jesus has just done. Not only did he know where he was, and he looked up and he said, I want to come and give all I have to you and I'll take all you have on me. Does that remind you of anything? He is changed. He stands up. So Zacchaeus, what's his response? Look at it. He says, verse 8, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zac is completely overwhelmed by what Jesus has done. He is utterly changed by his meeting Jesus. Unlike the rich man that we we read last week, who thought he didn't need Jesus, Zacchaeus knows he needs Jesus. Desperately. Enough to climb a tree when you're a little bit... And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So how does salvation come? That was our title for today. How does this relationship with Jesus come? Was it after the man sold his stuff? Or before? The man's response is elaborate. He's completely changed. But first, Jesus said, come down. I must stay at your house today. First, I must start my relationship with you. First, I must give you all I have, and you give me all you have. Jesus offers us the same thing. He looks at us and he says to you, I'm coming to your house today. I want to associate with you. I want you as my friend. I want friendship with you. What do you say? All your stuff I take on. And my perfection I give to you. This is a thing we use on the Alpha course where we say that on the cross, Jesus took all 
our sin, all our stuff on him. So we're free. But what we often miss out is that he gives us back, not our sin, but his perfection. That's the exchange that he offers. Whether we're peeking timidly from a tree or straining like that woman who is bleeding to touch Jesus' cloak or yelling our heads off, Jesus, have mercy on me. He sees us. He stops. He looks right at us and says, I want to come to your house today. I want to know you. And he sees all our regret, everything we've done wrong. He knows who we are. He's not tricked into it. He knows everything. All our regrets, all of the things that we might have got wrong. He just says, will you let me come stay with you? Permanently, I'm going to unpack. I'm here. And whatever people have said about you, whatever you think about yourself, Jesus tenderly comes and recognizes your deepest need. Not only does he stop and say, yes, what do you want? But he goes further and says, can I come and be with you forever? And he doesn't wait, does he, for us to find him. It says at the end he came to seek and save the lost. He's passing by. Maybe even today. Will you let him come in? In the final book of the Bible, Jesus says these words. Now they come up. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. That is Jesus's, Jesus speaking that to each one of us. And we can see from what we've just read how important that is. I will come in and dine with him. Today Jesus is asking, can I come in? And not after you've tidied up. I just want to come in, as you are. And for those of us who invited Jesus in a long time ago, are you still conscious of the amazing gift that he has given you? Or is he just kind of sitting in the corner on a chair and you've sort of forgot that he's there? He still wants to say, what do you want me to do for you? So let's look on him again today. Let's close by praying. Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us today. And whether we're shy for you to see us, whether we think we're not worthy, whether we're ashamed, or whether we know our need and we're crying desperately out to you, I thank you that you are here. And you are looking right at us.
Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross. That you didn't wait for us to clean up or be good. That you offered yourself for us completely and took all our sin. And in exchange, you gave us you. Father, forgive us when we forget what you've done for us. When we put ourselves at the front of the crowd leading that procession and telling people to shut up, maybe trying to do our own agendas. Please help us remember that we so need you. Amen.